Hi, I'm Raphael Honigstein, and you're listening to the Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Bavarian Podcast Works show. Thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Jake Fenner. I am joined today, as always, by my brother-in-arms for this project, Tom Adams. Tom, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday that we are recording this? I am doing well. Thanks for asking. I hope you're doing well as well. Really liking the the mood and the manner around Bavarian Podcast Works in 2020 because it seems every time we're recording, we're talking about a win. So I'm not someone who fully believes in jinxes. I apologize if there's anyone out there listening that does, but I genuinely hope that the rest of 2020 for us continues on in the same vein so we can just keep talking about wins. I would like that very much. Talking about wins is probably one of the, my favorite things to do, and we will be talking about that win up next, but later on in the show, we will be talking about Bayern's upcoming game against Mainz in a Der Ausblick segment, I guess, which the reason why we're not dedicating a full show to it is something that I will explain. And then we will tackle uh, some newsroom stories that we've covered in the last week. But before we get to that, we must touch on the 5-0 thrashing that Bayern Munich laid upon the men of Schalke at the weekend. We'll start off the goal scoring six minutes in. Thanks to the amazing Polish man himself, Robert Lewandowski. Thomas Muller sent in a high cross towards the back post, found the head of Perisic, who found Louis, who took a deflection off of a defender and put it right in, making it 1-0 for Bayern Munich. He tied Gerd Muller on a record, by the way. An interesting one. He is now the only player, along with Gerd Muller, to score, I believe, 22 goals in 19 matches, which is great for him. 45th minute in stoppage time of the 45th minute, Tomas Muller opened his scorebook, High cross from Perisic found the head of Leon Goretzka, who played it ahead for Tommy, and he sent it in to make it 2-0 at halftime. And then in the 50th minute, we have our very first nominee, I believe, for goal of the season from Leon Goretzka. Corner from Kimmich was swung out to Leon on the far side. If you haven't seen this goal, go find it. Go watch it. It's a beautiful goal. It's a wonderful goal. Props to a friend of the podcast, Phil Bonney, on his call of this goal because it was really electrifying and absolutely amazing. But anyway, Leon put a head on it and tried to send it in. The Schalke defender blocked it but didn't clear it. The ball literally just went right in front of him where Goretzka was also standing. Leon hit it on the volley with like a kind of sideways bicycle kick and tucked it into the left post. It was just a wonderful goal. Again, you need to go see this goal if you haven't yet. 58th minute, just eight minutes later, it was 4-0. Interception at midfield was picked up by Lewandowski. He started running into the box, laid it off on a platter for Thiago, making it 4-0. And then 89th minute, Serge Gnabry took a curled shot from just barely inside the far reaches of the box, 
It was just really unfortunate for Schalke goalkeeper Marcus Schubert, who just accidentally deflected it off of the outside of his thigh, basically, and underneath his arm, and it rolled underneath and into the goal. So 5-0 for Bayern Munich. Now, of course, it was a dominant performance from Bayern start to finish, but looking more at Schalke, because this Schalke team isn't bad. This is a Schalke team that went ahead and destroyed Borussia Mönchengladbach the week before. So was this more of a case of Schalke not being able to play up to Bayern, or was it really just as cut and dry as Bayern being the most dominant team to start off this Rookrunde? From a tactical standpoint, I think with both of the lineups that were deployed respectively by David Wagner and uh, Hansi Flick, I think that this, the way that it transpired basically, I would say could be captioned by Hansi Flick knowing exactly what Wagner was going to be going for and setting up his lineup accordingly to deal with it perfectly. I think that like Jurgen Klinsmann in the Hertha Berlin game, I think that uh, Wagner wanted to take some risks. I was a little bit surprised to see with, uh, or excuse me, see the fact that he went with two strikers up front, but I get it. He wanted to have those two outlet men up front when Schalke would go on those counterattacks in uh, Matondo and Gregorich. But with Hansi Flick, he kind of deployed a 4-3-3 with a triple pivot. Joshua Kimmich coming back into the lineup after serving his suspension, which relegated uh, Philippe Coutinho to the bench. That triple pivot in midfield, Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, and Thiago I thought was one of the, the best pieces of this game. Obviously, a lot of us do get concerned sometimes when we see Thomas Muller deployed as a wide advanced player, especially in a 4-3-3 system, because I think history has shown he's far more effective from a central role. But with this triple midfield pivot, what this did is we spoke last week about the tactical decisions that Flick made at halftime against Hertha Berlin that really paid off, you know, backing off of their press and, you know, not going all out hunting in packs, twos and threes to close down one player because Berlin were getting those quick passes off and kind of playing right around the press with those quick passes. So we kind of deployed this as well. And what was great was when Bayern would lose the ball in Schalke's half, it would be that Two, you know, one or two of the players, whether it's Kimmich, Goretzka, or, or Thiago, um, joining in on what on uh, excuse me, joining in on one of the more advanced players, either Perisic, Lewandowski, or Muller, in closing down those spaces with Schalke trying to play out of the back. And what this did was it just thwarted a lot of counterattacks that Schalke were trying to spring. So it was in that area of the pitch where where Bayern were able to properly adjust and congest the areas that Schalke were trying to venture into when they would spring those counterattacks. And I just thought that was one of the best pieces of the game. You know, Hansi Flick knew that Wagner was going to be trying to utilize the counterattacks, breaking out of those deep blocks and looking for those guys, as I mentioned, Gregorich and Matondo on the breaks. And that midfield block just did a fantastic job of suffocating all of that. I, I'm pr pretty sure even in the second half, I don't think, I think Neuer had like one half save where it was, uh, basically like a deflected shot and it was in the air for like what seemed like 15 seconds and he just caught it and I, I specifically remember the Allianz Arena crowd like vaguely cheering uh, with the suit curve right behind him because <laughs> it's the first time he touched the ball but again that just echoes how well that uh, that midfield pivot did and one of the other things I noticed I got to give Kimmich uh, some credit on this too you know build uh, 
a couple days before this match, they were reporting on one of the things that Flick was stressing during the training session in the build-up to this was those quick diagonal switches and those long diagonal balls. And what this does for a team that's playing a deep block against you, they constantly have to shift to follow where the ball's moving to, so they're never able to set. And I thought that Kimmich was one of the players who really utilized that very well. And oftentimes, I do kind of scratch my head you know, I think he'll try to do too much on the ball sometimes and make a pass that isn't there instead of making the simple pass. But I got to give credit to him because he was really spot on with some of those diagonal switches and some of those long balls that would switch play quickly and cause Schalke to uh, to reset and, you know, shift where they were and, and not let them get set in and, you know, look at what was coming at them. My favorite player is back. Like, I'm so happy to see Tomas Muller finally get back into the form that he used to be the questions were surrounding whether or not he was happy or not back when Nico Kovac was manager and he was pretty much only starting Philippe Coutinho he just went ahead and scored his 100th goal for Bayern Munich at the Allianz in all competitions in this game with that goal in the 45th minute do you think any questions of him being done at Bayern Munich are irrelevant now that he's finally found his form again 100 percent. i mean ever since hansi flick stepped in for Nico kovac i mean everything he touches seems to turn to gold whether it's providing an assist which i think he yes he does he currently leads the league in assists i believe 12 is the tally right now um whether it's an assist uh, a shot on goal a key pass which he's averaging quite a few um since hansi flick has taken over or scoring himself i think that he's proven why he needs to be one of the first names on the team sheet yes he is uh one of a decent sized list of players whose contracts um are set to expire at the um excuse me in 2021 but I think that he 100% needs a contract extension regardless of you know, what's the, what the future is going to hold as far as the managerial position after Hansi Flick after this season. But this season, if he's fit uh, and available, he needs to be in this, in this starting lineup because he's just shown how effective he is for the squad, even if it's not providing assists or, you know, creating the, uh, the goals himself. There's a reason why he's called the Ram Deuter um, and he's, exactly showing that showing the world why he is who he is and how he got that nickname the rom deuter is back and we are all better for it we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break and when we get back we will spend a maximum three minutes on mines welcome back and the reason why i said before the break that we were only going to spend like three minutes maximum on Mainz, and this really isn't to disrespect them, but Mainz are just really an, a really bad team, a, a, a super bad team, and here here's how I can describe it, right? Mainz has lost four of their last five games. They are 6-0-13. That means they have not drawn. They have only lost and won. Their previous fixture against Bayern was a 6-1 battering. Their last four games with Bayern, Bayern won by at least two goals every single time. Their top scorer is Kwaison, who has eight. Nobody else on this team has more than four. 
Their leading assister is Jean-Paul Boetius. Their top striker in terms of caps is Jean-Philippe Mateta. He has three goals in 19 appearances. They are tied for the third worst goal difference in the Bundesliga, and along with Bremen, they've conceded the most goals in the league. If it wasn't for Bremen, they would probably be in the relegation zone, if not the relegation playoff at least. The last time Bayern Munich failed to beat Mainz, they drew them in April of 2017. The last time Bayern lost to Mainz was March of 2016. So my question to you, Tom, is not necessarily will Bayern win. The question will be by how many goals. And that, and that's honestly the best way that I can put it. Because you can't go from a 6-1 battering to losing this game. You can't go from outscoring your opponents in your first two games 9-0 to dropping this game to Mainz. What, what do you think? What do you say? Yeah, of course. I mean, Akeem Bayerlortzer has a lot of difficult decisions to make. I mean, I think it's obvious that the onus is always going to be on Bayern in this one. And, and Mainz, they just cannot keep a clean sheet. I think they've kept one clean sheet all season in the league, uh, and that happened to be against a, um, an also struggling Werder Bremen team at the Westerstadion, which was just kind of one of the, the biggest fluke results of the season for Mainz and Werder Bremen, respectively. And Probably the <laughs> the one thing that that Mainz can uh, can could have celebrated this season, having such a big victory. But let's be honest, Werder Bremen are in dire straits right now as well. So it's enough to be said about that. And you know, going back to Bayerlorzer's decision, he really has to look at you know, okay, what did Jurgen Klinsmann do with how did he set up Berlin um, against Bayern, and respectively, how did David Wagner set up his Schalke side against and against Bayern? You know what worked in small sequences and what didn't work, and I think that we found that Hansi Flick is very savvy to the fact that these teams are going to be playing deep blocks against against them and trying to utilize the open spaces that create that are created when Bayern press numbers forward in the attack uh, and try and break down those deep blocks. And I think <laughs> he's got to really just decide who he wants that point man to be, whether it's going to be Quaison, perhaps Boedius, one of the link-up guys between uh, defense and attack, Mateta, Anisiwo. He's got to make those difficult decisions. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to just see him throw on an added midfielder, whether it's someone like Unsanali, uh, Barrero, or whoever it's going to be, um, just to help keep... Uh, you know, as much congestion as they can and try and basically keep hold off Byron's first goal because let's be honest, it's more of an inevitability than an if. Uh, just hold off Byron's first goal as long as they can. But I think it's just a matter of once that's finally broken down by Byron and that first goal goes in, it's kind of going to be the uh, the floodgates opening. And I can easily see this one um, staying close for a while. But, you know, once that first goal goes in, at least a few more to follow. I, I'm going to go with a with a four nil on this one. I just I think that uh, mines might frustrate us a little bit, but it's just going to break because it just can't last forever. And I think over the course of the season, it's shown like they can just cannot keep a clean sheet. And now we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to take a look at some newsroom topics. Welcome back, and we're going to cover two topics specifically. The very first thing we are going to cover is the transfer saga surrounding Leroy Sané. Now, with only a couple days left in the January transfer window, it's become clear that Sané is not going to sign with Bayern in the winter. 
With that being said, there have been a lot of rumors percolating around whether or not he wants to leave, whether or not he will re-sign a contract at Manchester City, whether or not he's going to sign at Bayern. And then today, on the day that we're recording this, Tuesday the 28th, there was a bunch of rumors talking about whether or not he would even want to sign with Bayern if he left Manchester City. So it just brings up a question about whether or not he's actually going to do it. And in my mind, the answer the answer is yes, because there really isn't another team linked with, with, um, with Sané the way that Bayern is. And it's... It's kind of clear that Manchester City have, well, not necessarily moved on from him. They've done a pretty good job without him, right? They're second in the Premier League. They have one game they just can't lose by more than three goals to Manchester United, and they're going to be in the final of the League Cup, right? It's They've had a pretty good season. Pep's a pretty good manager, and Man City's a pretty good team. They're in the knockout of the Champions League as well. I can't see necessarily uh, that Leroy Sané could easily, easily being the operative word, go back and pick up his momentum at Manchester City. Do I think he can do that at Bayern? Absolutely, because Bayern has the need for wingers. But I don't think that any club would try to step in the way of Bayern to really go ahead and try to get him. I don't see any rumored... I can't imagine him fitting anywhere else. So, Tom, do you, do you have any ideas of him going anywhere else? Because I imagine that you agree with me that he's going to be coming to Bayern in the summer. If I'm in a Vegas casino right now, or if I'm in a betting parlor in England, I'm putting all my chips on the fact that Sané will be a Bayern player by the end of this summer. At this point, quite honestly, I think what, what we're seeing uh, from both parties, and that's Manchester City and Bayern, obviously, I think is just um, both just trying to show respect to one another um, and kind of dance around the fact that Bayern is definitely going to be going to the negotiating table in the sense that, okay, so Manchester Evening News have just reported uh, earlier today, so Tuesday at the time of recording, uh, January 28th, that Sané has finally completed or resumed, excuse me, full team training um, in his re- after doing his rehab for his uh, knee injury and doing some, you know, work on his own with uh, Manchester City's coaches and physiotherapists. So that's a big step forward in his progression. When he will actually first feature for City, uh, I think it might be another couple weeks, perhaps even a month before we do see that. Uh, Pep Guardiola just got uh, Imeric Laporte back, which was a huge boost for them, um, you know, for their upcoming EFL clash, a cup clash against Manchester United, which they're already up on aggregate. I don't see them losing that. Um, and then their uh, their weekend fixture in the Premier League. But uh, in Karl-Heinz Rummenigge just came out uh, earlier today, and, you know, he brought up the fact that there's a number of Bayern veteran players that their contracts expire next year. So Thomas Muller... David Alaba, Javi Martinez, Thiago, Manuel Neuer. As we know, he's already expressed his frustration with the fact that Nubel has been guaranteed a certain amount of games next season once he uh, arrives at the club. And I think that uh, everything he said is basically we need to 
figure out what we want to do with these players first and perhaps free up the space that we need to free up, free up the funds that we need to free up because we don't want to let any of these guys go on a free transfer uh, in 2021. Um, this is going to pave the way for potentially uh, a big summer. You know, he said it's not in Bayern's interest to set a new record on a transfer free transfer fee, but you know, he kind of also said there's no transfer market just for us. So, you know, this is perhaps him saying that Bayern will be willing to be flexible, even though they're going to try and use Sané's perf performances when he comes back from injury uh, as a barometer for saying, okay, he's not quite up to where he was when we were initially, you know, when these links first started in what, in what seems like 10 years ago, but in reality it was more something more like 18 months ago. So that's a tool that Byron can use at the negotiating table uh, when that time comes. I think it's already set in stone that Sané's made it clear he wants to come here. He's fired his previous agent. You know, everything that's happened within the past eight months or so, they just have all the hallmarks that he's getting ready for this move. Um, and as I said when I first started this thought, I think it's just both clubs showing each other a lot of respect. And I think... There's an added element to that with the the history that Pep Guardiola has at Bayern and with uh, our front office. So I, I I just kind of think smoke and mirrors in in layman's terms, I guess, trying to be polite. Um, you know, neither party is going to come out and say, "Oh yeah, we've agreed this fee. This is what's going to happen," and be very very blunt about it. And Sane, uh, you know you got to give him credit for being classy about this. He's not just going to come out and say, yes, I've agreed this fee with Bayern. You know, this is where I'm going to be going this summer. As of this date, July 1st, I'm going to report from my first training session, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, everything is going to be kept quiet and under close wraps out of respect for all the parties uh, involved, you know, and it's not going to be one of those situations where it's, you know, like Dimitri Payet when he was at West Ham, just refusing to go to training, isolating himself, uh, wanting the move back to France or like St. Maximin when he <laughs> wanted to force his way out of Nice and France and, and wind up at Newcastle. So I, I just think that's a lot of what's going on. And I definitely think that Sané will be a Bayern player for next season. And I think that transfer fee um, is going to be somewhere with the fee itself, wages included somewhere around the 110, 120 million euro mark. And he will be wearing Bayern red next season. I completely agree. I imagine that we also could go out and get Havertz, but that's a completely different issue. Now, the last thing that we are going to talk about is a bit of a downer. It's a bit of a sad thing. It's the reason why we've titled this episode the way we have. Not necessarily soccer related, but related to the world of sports overall. One of the greatest sportsmen of this millennium so far, uh, Kobe Bryant ended up dying. Now, the reason why I bring him up on a Bayern Munich podcast is because this honestly could have happened to anybody. It could have happened to any player on any team anywhere. But with Kobe, at least uh, for everyone overseas... Right for and from an American perspective, from my perspective, growing up as a kid, my f fandom of sports is intertwined with my life, as it is with a lot of yours. And growing up as a kid, I would wake up 
and I would do what most sports loving kids do. I would turn on Sports Center. And I can't imagine and I cannot remember in the summer a day that went by where they did not talk about Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was almost guaranteed to be on air with highlights. He transcended the sport that he was in to all sports. He had a care in all sports. He invested himself in sports, in being a sportsman, in being the best at every possible thing. And that included, it turns out, soccer. Kobe grew up, and one of the two sports that he could have played was, it was between basketball and soccer. He was a decent goalkeeper. It was revealed in interviews that he loved the game of soccer. And one of the other things that I absolutely love about him is that he was a tireless and defenseless advocate for equality in sports, specifically for women's sports in the WNBA. But he was also a massive fan of the women's national team, the U.S. women's national soccer team, and the U.S. women's basketball team. One of my favorite Kobe Bryant quotes of all time was just from just from a couple of days ago, just from a couple of weeks ago. He was asked whether or not any if any WNBA players could eventually make it into the NBA. He said, yeah, they could. Not only later down the line, I think three players could easily come in right now. Two of them are UConn alum. As I've said before on this podcast, I'm a UConn basketball fan. Uh, Diana Tarazi and Sue Bird were two of the people that he mentioned, which somewhat leads me to the thing that I'm probably the most upset about, and that's the loss of his daughter, Gianna. Gianna and Kobe were very close with the UConn women's team and Gina Oriema. And the thing that a lot of people have said is that Gianna was just, she just had it. She was just like her father in terms of being able to do really well at sports. And she grew up idolizing UConn women's basketball as a lot of boys and girls growing up in, in my state did. And of course, the loss of the other families in this crash is equally as tragic. So I guess the real reason why I brought this up is because there's not a day that really goes by that I don't appreciate the things that I have. It's uh, it's something I, pre- I take into account every morning that I wake up. And to everybody out there, call somebody you're close to and tell them that you miss them and love them and care about them because we all don't know when our time is to uh, to head up. So, or in my case, down, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just saying this to say to all the fans out there that uh, I love you all and I appreciate you all. And yeah, just every day, right? Whether you're the... Whether you're the young kid throwing a paper ball into a basket saying Kobe as you fade away or whether or not you just wake up and go to work. Apply Mamba mentality to everything. Just make sure that you don't give up, give your best, and make sure that you love what you do. And I think that's probably the best way we could go about living our lives. Yeah, just to echo what you said, his sporting accomplishments speak for themselves. And just as you were you know, giving all of that lovely credit to him for advancing and being such an advocate 
uh, for soccer and more specifically women's soccer. I'm reading on Yahoo Sports and I see a, a picture that's absolutely lovely. It's him uh, in a nice embracing hug with Megan Rapino during the World Cup. It must be from the match that she sat out because uh, she's not in, in uniform. But, you know, again, just touching base on the fact that his daughter was one of the, the victims of this crash, you know, as tragic as it is, you know, he is someone who helped pave the way for women's sports. And he was one of the first prominent athletes to do so, especially as a guy who uh, was a basketball player, you know, and even added sentiment for us, you know, as you were saying that I was even thinking back and for those uh, listeners out there who have been listening to Bavarian podcast works from the very beginning, uh, you may recall that we actually started this by covering the, the women's world cup. Um, and it was a great success, and we had a lot of fun doing it. It was a great uh, learning curve, too, for some of the research that we had to do because we do like to do our research before this because <laughs> most of us only knew about the German and American players, so we had to do our research for some of the other players. But just to piggyback off of that, you know, with someone like Kobe Bryant and his advocacy uh, for soccer uh, and sport and, and not only just soccer itself but women's soccer, you know, with with how much he would promote and support it, you know, would we would it have even been a, as prevalent as it was when we were covering it? And I think that's a very very important reminder. And obviously, his daughter was involved in basketball, and as you mentioned, had very big dreams and aspirations to go on and play for a very very successful uh, U.S. women or excuse me, uh, UConn women's basketball organization. Um, and it's guys like him with using the platform that he had as one of the world's best basketball players to help you know, create a far better landscape and a far more um, lucrative landscape for, for women's sport. And I just think that's so so important um, for especially the younger generation coming up to, to have that available with what might not have been available, you know, years ago or perhaps when people our age were growing up. So, you know, his, his impact on the sporting landscape far transcends the NBA or basketball itself. And I think that's uh, something he would want everyone to be thinking about right now. And as you mentioned, whether it's everyday life or watching Bayern, celebrating a Lewandowski goal, enjoying the, the Weissbeer douche, the, the Weissbeer showers at the end of the season, lifting the Meister shallow, or just celebrating a small victory in life or you know, playing the sport you love, don't take it for granted ever because you never know when it's just going to be lights out and on to the onto the next stage of the afterlife, whatever you believe in. So everyone out there listening, as Jake said, those who you love, tell them you love them. Enjoy everyday life. Enjoy what you do. Don't take it for granted. And listen to Bavarian Podcast Works while you're <laughs> at it. <laughs> Absolutely, of course. With that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. You know what I usually say at the end, but uh, thank you all for listening. And until next time, auf Wiedersehen.